And good morning, good afternoon or good evening to you depending on when you're watching or listening to this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. Yes, it's me again, Alex Williams-Smith, better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis. And it's my pleasure to have another amazing guest on this show, a gentleman who is a legend in the world of uh, magic and illusion. I mean that kind of David Copperfield, Paul Daniels wise as opposed to um, any devil worshipping magic or anything like that. Uh, he's also a legend in the psychic world, a fortune telling, tarot reading, numerology and related areas, as well as in the world of hypnosis, being somewhat controversial for the fact that he openly tells you that hypnosis is bunkum. He's also, yes, so many more strings to his bow, he's also the world's, un well, in my opinion, uh, the world's number one uh, pitch artist, when, if you don't know what that is, um, he will explain very shortly, so please welcome to the show, all the way, joining us all the way from Canada, uh, Mr. Mark Lewis, how are you Mark? I'm nearly dead, but apart from that I'm alright, <laughs> got a cold, oh. I've got the virus or something, anyway, um, how are you Jonathan? I'm great, thanks. Um, what, do I, what, what do I call you? Alex Johnson? You've got so many bloody names. I know. Well, Alex by birth. So, yeah, let's just go with Alex, eh? All right, Alex. You know, okay. you've, got, you've got a lot to answer for, you have. I didn't realise this until in recent years when we connected on Facebook, but... Um, I'm, 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 my hearing's not very good. You said I've got a lot of what? A lot of things to answer for. Oh, have I? Oh, dear. Yeah, don't worry, in a good way, it's just... I've got a for me, yeah. <laughs> Back in 1979, right. I was buying magic tricks from... with the money I was earning on the Golden Mile in Blackpool, uh, helping right. my dad at the Paul Daniels Magic Exhibition, and it's only in recent years that I realised that you had the magic concession in... The Paul Daniels Magic Museum. That's right. I met your father there. So I must have got my first like Svengali deck off you back in 1979. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't was it there? Uh, was it 1979? Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. It, it probably was around about then. And um. Yeah. I I, I remember your father was a quite a well known clown, and he was. I think he was um out in the front of the Magic, uh, uh, a magic kids magic company here in England 
And lo and behold, I've got the job, and then a guy shows up called Adam ha Harms. I can't even bloody Not say Adam it. Adam Harms, <laughs> He's a doctor. He's a, he's a um, doctor of something or other, a doctor of economia. He's an intellectual, a university professor now. Wow. Well. We'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just destroy his career now. <laughs> taught him all your insider tricks for pitching and he passed quite a few of them on to me yeah. and lo and behold I made the most money that year out of all the stores for um, Marvin's and I put that down to what Adam showed me which I then found out later was because he'd been taught by you so it's really a weird well, small world at the time he told me about you he said he said, oh, I said, I mean, Mum sent to hire the other and he said, he said, I found a 16-year-old kid in, in, in up north, he says, and, and <laughs> he was pretty good. So he, he mentioned you at the time, didn't mention your name, but it must have been you. Yeah, um, bloody hell. Small, small, small world. So, I mean, for anyone who's listening to this, I've got to tell you, if you go on uh, Mark's website, marklewisentertainment.com, the link will also be below the video. On there, he has a book called The Long and the Short of It. And you might think, well, hang on, when you go and look at it, that's great. It tells you how to demonstrate this wonderful trick deck of cards called the Svengali deck, which you can see Mark doing on videos. If you just go on YouTube and type in Mark Lewis Magician, you will see Mark demonstrating this wonderful deck of playing cards and that book teaches you how to make money selling it and I know this audio podcast is aimed at hypnotists but I, I honestly would recommend you even as hypnotists to get a copy of that book because it's learning about the psychology of pitching um, I believe can make you a better performer if you're a stage hypnotist or a better therapist if you're a hypnotherapist or if you're a psychic consultant well that's going to be my next question to mark because um he's he's done it all over the years but yeah i mean you 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 were practically a household name in ireland weren't you as a psychic oh yeah everybody knew me in ireland massive uh, massive uh, newspaper coverage uh, uh, because of the psychic work i was doing Uh, 
you know, I would do their horoscopes. I would have the horoscopes, and they would uh, do the, uh, they would advertise me, so it worked out quite well. And then, unfortunately, when I got to Canada, I got a bit, I, they were sending me checks from, 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 um, from, from, from Ireland, actually. Oh, really? Uh, when I was in Canada for a while. And then, one day, I got a bit fed up with the, um, I got, a, I got a bit fed up with the bloody, um, the team of doing the horoscopes. So I think I, I hired Adam, uh, Adam to do it. And he was useless. Um, you know, he said, oh, you better do the garden today, he said, things like that. <laughs> so uh, so they, 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 they lost interest in the horoscopes after I got Adam to, 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 um, to do it. But, but yeah, no, I, 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 I do a lot of psychic meetings even now. You know, a lot of... Um, um, I studied palmistry and the tarot cards, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very, um, you, you get to know people, um, and something happened, when you're a pitch and a grafter, um, you, I better explain what pitch art is, someone that sells a magic pitch, when someone that sells magic, demonstrates, gets a crowd, and especially the Svengali deck, and, I mean, and pitching or grafters, we call them grafters in Britain, um, over here, they call them pitch for some stupid reason. <laughs> so, people like that, <coughs> losing my voice, I'm getting dead. Um, people like that uh, have a very, I don't know what the word is, aggressive attitude to the customers, and you become very cynical and very ruthless and hard. Um, but then when I started to do psychic work, the opposite happened. It softened me up. All right. Okay. Because you're dealing with one person. When you're dealing with one person face to face, listening to all their troubles and all their sadness, it softens you up. When you got a crowd in front of you, you don't care about like, the people there. You don't. You, in fact, you dislike them. Um, but when it's just one person in front of you, uh, you become a bit more human. So it made me a bit more human being a psychic. So there it is. Hope I don't lose my voice. Go on. When you do when you're doing psychic readings, um, do, do, do you find that for some people, it's like a form of therapy because they're offloading yeah. and stuff. Yes, it certainly can be. It's just, I'm a, um, I'm not a therapist, and I tell them that. But I, I, and I don't give advice because I don't know the situation. I, I know some of what the situation is because when you're a psychic, it's like looking through frosted glass. You get glimpses, but you don't see everything. Um, you know, I'm going to have to get, um, I don't know if you can keep talking for about three minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, I've got to get some water. Okay. I'll go and get some water. All right, well, while Mark goes and gets some water, let me just explain that uh, Mark, um, as a psychic uh, entertainer, fortune teller, does tarot reading, palmistry and whatnot, and he has a complete training course in that, um, which I've thoroughly recommend as a stage hypnotist he probably had the first uh, package home study course on the market you know with videos and audios and books and the whole shebang telling you how to get your stage hypnosis show on the road and how to actually do it Um, and that's a course that you can get from Mark Plus he has the pitching stuff and all that. Now I'll tell you his website now while he gets his glass of water. His main website is marklewisentertainment.com. Uh, 
Uh, if you go on Amazon.com or .co.uk and type in Mark Lewis Magician, or type in Mark Lewis Hypnotist or Mark Lewis Psychic, you will get his books that are in Kindle and printed format. And if you go on a site, library.com, which is L-Y-B-R-A-R-Y.com, and again, but in the name Mark Lewis, you'll find his books on how to do psychic readings, his books on how to do a hypnosis show, and his books on pitching, the psychology of which and selling. Uh, the technique... Yeah, I, oh, he's back. Uh, are, um, I feel are invaluable to therapists as well, because... When you learn how to persuade people to part with their money, believe me, that in the grand scheme of things is actually a lot harder than persuading them to uh, just, you know, stop biting their fingernails, for example. Anyway, I believe Mark may have got his water and be back with us. Water, and I, I, um, uh, you've held the fort very well, and um, I've uh, taken some apple cider vinegar to clear my, my throat. I've got red flux. I don't recommend getting old, by the way. You get all sorts of things happening to you, but at the moment, I'm still above ground. Um, <laughs> well, I forget what the hell we were talking about. Being psychic. Yeah, um, do you think it's a bit like uh, therapy for some people? Yeah, it can, it can be. It can be uh, therapeutic. It, it help, I've helped thousands of people doing psychic readings. Um, thousands, I've done thousands of readings. And I think that most I hope that most of them have, have, have been um, valuable to the people that I've helped. Um, but I once read, see, when I, I started to, I studied uh, a book on counseling mm. when I started in the psychic business. It's called, um, it's a very good book for anyone who does any counseling in a non-professional um, way. Uh, this is, it's, a, it's called On Becoming a Counselor by Eugene Kennedy. Oh. And this is a very good book for someone who is not necessarily a professional therapist, but somebody who counsels people like a minister or a, um, I don't know, a social worker, somebody who, who counsels people, but they're not professional uh, yeah. psychiatrists or psychologists. Um, I don't think the author was actually um, envis envisaging that it would be a good book for, for psychics, but... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, I, I, I find it useful. And, and one little bit of advice he said was, a little help is a lot of help. If you can help just a little bit, um, that can be a lot of help to somebody. So I do the best I can. I, 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 don't, encourage, um, I don't encourage my clients to keep coming to me. Um, I, I, they, can become, they can become dependent. Mm -hmm. They have to take care of their own lives. They have to show them how they can do that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, if, if you're a good, somebody once said to me that the best psychics are the ones that have had hard lives, because they, 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 they can show some empathy, you see. So, um, it's, it's very hard to explain, uh, it's a very mysterious business, but um, I've, done it, I've done it since 1987. Um, Adam was with me when it happened, actually. Adam, um, I said to Ad, but we had this office in Dublin, and we, we were broke, we had no money. Mm -hmm. And um, so I said, Adam, I've got an idea. I'll put an ad in the newspaper and, and become a psychic. <laughs> so he's, he's mocking me. He says, oh, you won't get one, you won't get one client. You won't even get, one, get, get a single client. 
So I put the ad in the paper. Oh God, the phone never stopped ringing. I said, being a Scottish psychic, I'm arguing. And I, I'd not, I didn't know anything about being a psychic. I had no power whatsoever. <laughs> well, so half the readings were, were crap. And half the readings were quite good. It was awful. Um, so I, I, I realized that I better study this a bit more. Because, because there was definitely a demand for it. Mm. Um, and I got good at it. Uh, I got good. I started to study it properly instead of trying to fake it. I tried to fake it in the beginning. Um, but I didn't. After a while, strange things happen. Um, if you do it a long time, you don't need to fake it anymore. You, you sense things from people. Um, people, people that come into the. I think it's kind of weird. Um, people that come into the psychic business. Um, the crooked ones end up being real, you know, after a while. They mm. start becoming real. But the ones who really believe in it start becoming crooked after a while. So, so they meet in the middle. Um, but now what I do is, 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 is very genuine, and um, I believe 100% in the power of tarot cards. Um, you, you can look at the... The way it works is... I can't really explain it. It's something called conceptual blending. Um, uh-huh. One card can mean, um, if I lay out a spread of cards, uh, that, that spread can either apply to Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler. Uh, it, it's not so much the, the, uh, the cards that come up at random, it's the vibes you get from the person which you translate into the tarot cards. Unless you get a bit deep, but um, it, it's, I've done a lot with uh, psychic meetings that, I'm doing it this new way now, which I've only it's ironic which I, I, I'm having trouble you know, talking to you on the computer here, but I just started doing it um, I don't know what they call it, online readings. All right. Through, through um, people sending me their questions and that and I'm sending them um, they send me money and then I then I do and said that you believe in the power of the tarot. Now, oh. I, I, I want to dig, dig, dig a bit deeper because you released, uh, which I know, as I've said to people, if they contact you via your website, although it's not actually on the website, you do have a DVD uh, training oh. course available for psychic readings and uh, stuff. Uh, don't uh, I was done for magicians many, many years ago. I don't put it, I don't, um, I, I, it's not, uh, uh, that was something I put years ago, it's not, it's not, it's not relevant now. Um, the, the, uh, I have taught, uh, I did do a seminar for International Magic in London in 2000 and, uh, what was it, 2010, you know, but um, if you, if you look up, there's a guy who have just been, um, only the last three weeks, he's a tarot reader, and, um, I'm finding his, he explains why the tarot works. Okay. Uh, his name is Vincent Petisky, and he explains why. It's, it's nothing mystical, it's quite logical when you think about it. Um, you get one card called the Hanged Man, I'm just 
standard meetings. Mm-hmm. The hangman represents, um, to me, sacrifice. Um, in order to get something, you've got to give something up. No matter what you give up, it's what, what you get, only you can decide, only the client decides. Well, it doesn't matter who the person is, there is going to be some sacrifice in their life, and you just got to figure out what that sacrifice is. And to get an intuition, I always read the palm first, because after reading the palm, you, 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 I kind of know about the person. I'm just going to take some water now, one second. Yeah, no worries. So, 
I was watching him, and my friend Kerry was sitting next to me, and Kerry was muttering under it, this is a load of crap, this is baloney. I said, no, it's real, it's real. So Kerry says, watch, he's, he's, he's whispering to the people. Adam, he's not whispering, his lips are not moving. So um, Kerry says, look at his Adam's apple. I looked at his Adam's apple, which is moving up and down. Mm -hmm. So oh, he's, he's, he's faking it, he's whispering, telling him what to do. Uh, so I got a bit suspicious of it. And then one day, have you ever heard of Paul Golden? Yes, please do please relate your tales, because I've read, I've read one of the stories you've told about Paul before. Well, Paul Golden is a legendary stage hypnotist in Ireland, he's passed away now. His, um, his clinic is still there. He's got a clinic, his daughter runs it now. Uh, you know, uh, hypnotherapy. Yeah. Smoking, weight loss and all that stuff. So, he, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> my, I first heard of Paul Golden when I was about 16 years old. My uncle went to medical school with him. My uncle said to me, I know you're interested in magic. Have you ever heard of Paul Golden? I said, no. He said, well, he was a, he's a, he, I went to medical school with him. He started to be a doctor, but he decided he didn't want to be a doctor. And he, he didn't want to be a doctor because he didn't like the fact that drugs were used in, in medical work. So, yeah. so he became a, a state a hypnotist, very controversial. He had to skip, I think he had to skip, skip England, actually, and go to Ireland because people were looking for him. He was a bit of a character. Yeah. So, so anyway... I got to meet Paul Golden, and I said, my uncle told me about you years ago, and he said, oh yes, yes, Louie, I remember your uncle, uh, and he used to be in my uncle's house. So I got to know Paul Golden, and at the time, I got quite famous as a psychic in Ireland. So Paul Golden says to me one day, I hope you don't believe in this psychic stuff, he says, as soon as you do, you're dead. Right. So I didn't argue with him, I didn't say, well, I did believe in it, I just said, but then I saw an opportunity. I said, well, tell me about the hypnotism. I said, because I was getting suspicious of it. I said, um, if, if, what about the hypnotism that you do? Uh, do you believe that? Are you dead if you believe that? She went, oh, shifting. He was like, wouldn't look me in the eye. He looked at his receptionist outside the door. <laughs> so his receptionist wouldn't hear. And he said to me, he said, I was, doing, I was number one for 30 years as a stage hypnotist. He says, um, in that 30 years, I never hypnotized a single person. Nice. I said, well, how, how do, I, I said, how do you get them to do all that stuff? And he said, you manipulate them, don't you? And that's, that's a secret. And I've been manipulating them ever since. So, um, so I don't really, uh, I mean, the book which explains it, there's a book called They Call It Hypnosis by Robert Baker. And that's a whole book debunking hypnosis. Yeah. It just says that it... Um, and here's another thing. There's a very famous hypnotist of years ago called Henry Blythe. Yeah. I'm going to get some water. I'm going to wash it going. Um, 
you know, he's a nice old, a nice old gentleman. And he was quite well known, quite established in his day. Anyway, his son became a hypnotherapist. His son did not go on the stage, but became Peter Blythe. So this Peter Blythe wrote a book on hypnotherapy. Yes. And he said, um, and he, he devoted three or four, he always said, he always devoted four lines to it. He said, he said, he said, my reader don't think I'm start reading mad, but I don't believe in hypnosis. <laughs> he said, I'm writing a book on hypnotherapy, but I don't actually believe in hypnosis. And then he went on writing the whole book about it. So, so that's a controversial thing. Some people are state theorists, some people are non-state theorists. Um, I've noticed in Britain and, and um, Ireland, the hypnotists there don't believe in it. Over here, they seem to believe in it or pretend they do. Well, I, I think they just pretend because, you know, a lot of stage hypnotists of the past especially also right. were pioneers in hypnotherapy, e.g. Ormond McGill. And well, yeah. Ormond McGill um, went out and hypnotherapists, he was going to their conferences, teaching them, had books out galore, but I met Ormond McGill. Uh, yeah, I spoke to him on the phone once. Supreme Magic Convention uh, yeah. in in the uh, mid to late 80s, and Norman McGill was there, and right. I asked him about stage hypnosis, and he categorically told me that it is all nonsense. And I, I thought, you know, I've suspected that for years. Somebody once told me that he gave a lecture, maybe in the same place, at some convention, he gave a lecture convention, and somebody come up to him afterwards saying, do you really believe all that? I said, no. <laughs> you know, so um, I've always been suspicious. There was an old showman who didn't really believe in it. Yeah, you know? and yeah, he wrote books making out that he did, bizarrely. Because you, uh, you, you spoke to um, Martin Rees once, didn't you? And he mentioned Gil Boyne. That's right. I, I said, um, I'm talking to Martin Rees, and he said, I mentioned hypnosis, and he said, um, Martin said, Gil Boyne was sitting, up, was sitting in that chair you're sitting in now, and told me that, that um, hypnosis was a load of bunkum. And this is a, a famous, Gil Boyne is like a, a very established name in hypnosis. Yeah. And, and he said it was a load of twine too. So, what can I believe it's very good, by the way, I do believe even though I don't believe in the reality of hypnosis, I do believe um, it's a boon to mankind. It, it is a very good thing for therapy. It works. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe the placebo effect, I don't know what's making it work, but it does work. Um, it does stop people smoking, and it does help people lose weight. And I, 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 I find it. I've done a little bit of hypnotherapy myself, not much of it, but I find it works. You know, I wish it would work for my throat at the moment. One second. Okay. So yeah, but hypnotism is a great show. Where you can put us like it's, it's, it's got all the production, um, the, all the production aspects of an illusion show, and there's no props. Lecture at a psychic fair. 
exclusive of trying to hypnosis here. Paul Golden told me to, when you learn hypnotism, as you practice to the chairs and things at home, he said, and then, and then you eventually have to find a live audience. So, I find, I, so the very first lecture I did at Psychic Fair, it worked perfectly. I was more amazed than the audience. I couldn't believe what was happening. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, they're really doing this crap. Why? So I thought, this is wonderful. I'm a stage hypnotist now. Then I did another lecture, and it died a death. It didn't work. Then I did it again. It didn't work. I did it seven or eight times, and, uh, seven or eight lectures, and each time it flopped. It wouldn't work. Yeah. If it hadn't worked the first time, I would have given up. Because it worked the first time, I knew it, I knew it could do it because it worked the first time. So, but then I gradually got to, to learn the ins and outs of it a bit. I practiced at the psychic fairs every weekend. It, it was very bad for business because it scared all my psychic clients away. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't want readings after me. They, you know, and all the bloody psychics started complaining about me as well. They, they said, always hypnotizing people to come and have a reading with them. I try to tell them it's scaring them away. They don't want it. They don't want to actually have a reading with me after doing hypnotism. But um, but that's where I learned it. I learned after a while that uh, I could do it, and um, I got good at it after after practicing it every weekend at the psychic fair. It took me a long while before I got the hang of it, though. They got it in the end, you know. Now, obviously, people can go on library.com or Amazon and get your complete stage hypnosis training course with videos and training manual. Keep away from Amazon. I don't make any money out of Amazon. All right. Go to library.com then, people. Yeah, library. If you contact me direct, I can send, I've got a hypnosis course. And for memory, I think it's $150 to get the hard copy. But if you want to just download it from library, it's saving me a lot of hassle. I don't make as much money, but... At my age, um, I can do without all the hassle. Um, so you can just order it from library. It's about $99 or something. Or you contact me direct. I can exert myself to to, um, to send it to you, the, the half-copy DVDs. It's a, it's a great hypnosis. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the best training in the industry. Because I would say that, wouldn't I? But... Um, well, you would say that, but I will say to people uh, listening, because, I mean, obviously I sell stuff as well, but I will say to people listening, have several different teachers if you're going to get into stage hypnosis. I make one of them mark, because, um, as you'll realise, if you go and buy, one thing you should buy straight away is his book, The Lives of a Showman, which is a, a, an autobiography, essentially, of um, his experiences as a stage hypnotist, as a magical entertainer, as a pitchman, grafter, uh, selling magic products and novelties, and as a, you know, a psychic as well, and all, how those all interweave, and well, there are some, the stories in there that you would, if you, if you saw them in a film, you wouldn't believe, but I swear down that, Having been brought up in a kind of weird background, circusy family myself, I can tell you yeah. this, this this kind of stuff happens, and it's eye-opening and educational, to say the least. Well, one cheeky bastard, young magician, said, oh, uh, the, the, the letter V in lives should, should be left out, omitted. I thought <laughs> it was funny, you know. He said it should go the lies of the showman, but, but everything in it is true, and there's, and there's witnesses. Witnesses 
to the event. So, so um, you know, but well, your friend had what's his name? Adam was with us there when. Mm, yeah. Adam Adam stood on the top of. The, I had this. In fact, I read in the book. I had some displeased clients when I first started you know, doing psychic readings. When the clients opened, I got the power. Um, there were some dissatisfied customers. Right. And Adam, and they, asked, they asked Adam for the money back. He didn't want to give me any. So he stood. He, he tried to signal to me by phoning me. I had a client in there. They stood on the roof of a roof of a building, throwing stones at the window, which attract my attention. And, so anyway, it's a crazy story, but there's a witness to that. Adam was a witness to that. But, but that was before I got good. I got good at being psychic later. I've got to ask you, because having read your autobiography, which obviously I recommend people listening to get, um, it's clear to me that you've had a life where you've quite literally lived on your wits. Oh, yes. Um, showing up in places with no money, no nothing, and then building a business with the skills you've got, particularly in... Pitching and, and or grafting, as um, some people also. I, I had a lot of nerve in those days. Um, I, I don't have the same amount of nerve now. When you're younger, you've got a bit of you got a bit of nerve. And, and I remember going to Canada once with fifty dollars in my pocket. Oh yeah. It was insane. I, 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 all I had was fifty dollars, and I thought, I thought I can get to work tomorrow. I know a place I can get to work. Um, uh-huh. It's amazing they let me in. You know, if they'd have asked how much money I had on me. Then I had to book a hotel, bluff the hotel with a credit card. Then I phoned up my room, excuse me, your, your credit card has been declined. Um, but, you know, it's called ducking and diving in the, in the business. And I managed to I managed to make some money and I found a place to work the next day. So, so for the yeah. people listening, tell us, how did you get into... Um, demonstrating in layman's terms for people who haven't quite got the lingo of grafting or pitching demonstrating these magic tricks and novelties to the public and selling them for cash what what got you into that ron mcmillan ron mcmillan international magic all right um, one day uh, yeah, um when i was when i was young, a thousand years ago uh-huh. um they used to have a, a magic, a sort of a magic club called the Vampire Club, and um, that was Max Andrews, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it well, it was, but he, he, I think he was dead by the time I, um, I went there. But I think it was started by Max Andrews, oh. <coughs> and um, they put on shows as well in this pub, and um, I saw Ronnie Millen. I never met Ron McMillan before, but I knew who he was, and he looked very wealthy. I didn't, I, he had this very expensive coat on, and I, I, he, he wasn't, he was actually not as wealthy as he looked at the time, but he looked, he looked pretty, uh, you know, his business was struggling, he, he just started his business then. Mm. And um, I heard him say, and I was, I was, I was out of work, I had no work, I had to get, getting normal jobs and getting fired from them and, and, and all the time. And um, Ron McMillan, Val Andrews was there. Okay, you know who that is? So, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so Ron, I heard Ron McMillan say to, uh, what I heard him say to Val Andrews, um, I'll give you a third, I'll, 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 he says, 
I'll see you at the schoolboys with the Spengali desk, Val, and I'll pay you a third. So what's out? Oh, he, he must be, he, he, he wants these demonstrators. He's paying schoolboys at the schoolboys and girls exhibition, which is coming up, you know, in a few days. Right. So registered in my brain, I went home that night and I thought, oh, he, he must want somebody to sell Spengali decks. Maybe, I, maybe he'll give me a job. I don't know. So I, went, so I went around to his magic studio and I said, um, I, 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 I can do car tricks, I can sell Spengali decks for you at the schoolboys exhibition. So he said, okay, and he gives me a job. So the first day, I remember, um, this is many years ago, the car was seven shillings and sixpence then. I, I'd taken in 15 pounds. I don't know how many decks that was, but 15 pounds, and I got five pounds commission for the day. For people listening, let's point out that we're recording this on the 5th of February 2020, but you're going back to what what year era was this? Oh, no, it must be bloody 50 years ago, I think. Right, so five five of them was uh, a lot of money, guys and girls, listening. 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago, actually. I'm 75 years old now, this must have been, I must have been about 18 or 19, I don't know, something like that. That's a long time ago. So it was a lot of money then, a fiver? It all was, it was. And, um, for a day's work, you know, I, mean, I think I was getting, I think I was getting about £10 a week in my normal jobs. So I was getting £5, like a seven day week, six day week, getting about 10 quid or something a week was an average wage. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I get £5 in one day. And then I do this, and I'm earning this kind of money every day. And he would give a bonus. If you took over £25 in one day, it would give you an extra pound as a, like a bonus. Yeah. I thought, let me just get this water. Right. <coughs> oh, God. So, um, so I made a lot of money that week. The, 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 oh, I forget how long it was on. Schoolboys and Girls Exhibition. And I'd actually seen Joe Stunner at the same exhibition a few years before selling Spengali decks. Um, a few years before, because I was on a school trip. All right. So anyway, I, um, so it was very successful. So Ron McMillan said, um, I'll get, we've got another one coming up, this, the boys at these holiday and travel exhibition. So I did that one. That was a disaster. <laughs> There's no, nobody was in. place was empty. And, um, it was, Nobody was in the bloody place. But I, I made more money playing cards than I did actually. Um, <laughs> and, and, and they all thought I was cheating. And I was actually playing honestly. I was getting good cards by accident. They all thought I was cheating. The grafters, trying to play cards with the grafters. And, um, and then I heard, and I've always regretted it to this day, somebody told me that, <coughs> that at another exhibition, um, see, I was at Olympia, I think, and there was another exhibition in, I was called a trade show, and there was a magician there called Eddie Tallop, a famous trade show magician. Yeah. Um, and he, there was a, 
was the only time he'd ever been to England, actually. And he, he, um, he was watching a trade show uh, for a company. And I was tempted to go down and see him, but I couldn't really because I was stuck at the Holding Travel Exhibition. To this day, I wish I'd gone to see him, you know, because I did trade show myself now that I could have entered that field a lot earlier. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I, I found out that granting sometimes it was good, sometimes it wasn't so good. Uh, but then after a while, I started to went to Ron McMillan quite a few times here. He went to, to Belfast for him, Belfast and Cardiff and Birmingham and different places I, work, I, I worked. And then, um, then I decided, then I, I went on my own. I, I purchased, I bought the cars from Ron McMillan and found places by myself to, to work. Mm -hmm. Department stores and exhibitions and places. And, and then, then I went to Blackpool um, I, w I went to do the Preston Ideal Homes exhibition, and a friend of mine, uh, by the name of Michael Vine, who is actually Darren Brown's manager nowadays. Yeah. Michael was a big shot in um, in show business and television production company, and he was a very good friend of mine at that time. So Michael was selling Slingaladex uh, in um, in Blackpool. Preston's near Blackpool. So I went to visit Michael on Central Pier. He was dying to death with Sven Gallaudet, actually. But I went to visit him. And I thought, oh, I like this place, Blackpool. I thought Blackpool is wonderful. A lot of people hate Blackpool. I love Blackpool. And um, I thought, I'm moving to this place. I moved to Blackpool. And uh, I worked there for many years. And then I went to Ireland. And then I went to his old, I studied traveling. And, uh, and that's the story, basically. <coughs> well, over those years and those travels, you clearly, through frontline experience of grafting to the public, yeah. de have developed systems and techniques that consistently work for you, because I know you've got a wonderful... People contact you, you've not just got the book, the long and the short of it, and the wonder mails, but you have actually got the... Um, they can contact you and ask about you. Video training sat on pitching. Yeah, I do, I do have video stuff on pitching. If anybody wants to contact me about that, I can give them information on it, you know. Now, um, I've, I've watched that, and I can honestly say it teaches a lot of the psychology in it and how to G up the crowd to feel good and want, want the stuff now. You're kind of almost hypnotizing them when you're pitching, aren't you? It, it, it's, uh, similar, there is some similarity. I've often thought that there's kind of a similarity in, uh, you know, you're... you're it's very hard to explain because when you do it for years, you get an instinct. You, you don't let anybody, you don't let anybody move in the crowd. They blink. You get, you get if somebody scratches their ear, you're suddenly alert to it. And you don't want them to scratch their ears. It's hard to explain. Um, and you, you, then you have to do what we call come to the bat. At the end of the demonstration, you have to try to get the money out of them. And, um, they do it differently in America over here. They do the they, they, they do the grafting, um, America especially. Um, they do it differently. They stand up with they stand up in a big rostrum with microphones. It's all palaver. Mm. Uh, that's not the way that not the British way of doing things. No. No, no I think that, that these, I think some people in Britain are doing it the American way now, which is stupid. But still, they use a microphone. They, the way the way all the grafters used to do it in England uh, when I was there was. They'd be 
ground level, same level as the customers, nobody used a microphone. It was considered um, almost an amateurish to, to use a microphone. And um, and it would work. A microphone can scare people away, actually, because especially at the beginning of the demonstration. But, uh, no, it's, 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 it's a long, there's not many people. There's not many people doing the pitching because it's a very hard way, it's very tough, very hard way of making a living actually, it's not easy. You know, it's very hard work doing demonstration after demonstration. People that start with it, they've never done it before, they love it for about a week or two. Mm -hmm. Then the novelty wears off. <laughs> they're dealing with difficult customers, they're saying the same thing day after day, and after a while the whole novelty wears off. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got to admit, when I, when, when I was doing Marvin's Magic, after the first week or so, I started thinking, oh, for Christ's sake, there's got, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And it wasn't until a few years ago I told uh, Marvin Burglars how I'd managed to um, make him so much money because I got fed up of doing the pitching so much. So I bought an ad in... Um, I put a press release together rather and I sent it to the local newspaper saying that this local child magician who just only just turned 16, only just left school, was doing a, a magic show on the hour, every hour, in Debenhams in Bolton. And they, right. and they put all these um, stories out. So I literally just did a 15 minute dem on the hour till quarter past the hour. And the other three quarters of the hour, I'd go off to the cafe and have a brew or something. <laughs> How did Marvin react to that when you told him? Uh, with a look of shock and horror, and then I said to him, but do remember, Marvin, you, you, can, you don't need to have half that. Remember, I made you more money than uh, all the other stores. And uh, then he just laughed and went, well, yeah, fa fair enough. It's <laughs> like you told him all these years later. Yeah. Well, Marvin, he'd be highly disapproving of, of um, he, he, Marvin is a little bit prim and proper with uh, his business operation, but um, I used to have an exchange program. Uh, I would send, um, I would send my demonstrators over to him, uh, and he would send uh, his people over to me in Ireland. It was like an exchange. Uh, they, they, they were. Um, I would send Adam over there to 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 help out Marvin. Mm. So Adam, you know, proper proper business, shall we say? Um, then 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 he said that Marvin would send his people over to me to make improper business. But um, <laughs> it, it worked, you know. I don't quite do things, so it, it worked out, you know. They learned they learned from each other, I suppose. But um, you know, he's had a very successful. But I, I, I knew his father, uh, David Burglass, taught me a bit of magic when I was a kid, you know? All right. Yeah, I spent an evening with him, and he, um, he, he, uh, he, he taught me, uh, he, there was, a, there was a, a member of Parliament who, was a, who, who, who knew me, Lord Jagger, and he, he called up Dave, um, David Burglass, and and uh, we went to, uh, he said, there's a young man I know, he needs to learn a bit of magic, pr pr present magic. So David came along, and we, we, he, he, he taught me a bit of magic, and coached me a little bit. I thought that would be a noise. But, um, so that, I mean, that's what happened there. But I'm really a card magician, that's what I am. People think I'm a pitch.
judgment on my psychic and my this and my that. And I say, I can't magician. That's the thing I do best. I do card I do card tricks. And most recently, you've just released a new book, haven't you? The Annotate... I can't even say the bloody word. You say it, Mark. The Annotating... <laughs> the annotate Why Water Card Magic. At the moment, it's an e-book on library.com. It's done very well. And they've got a fantastic forward by Harry Lorraine. Harry Lorraine doesn't normally write forwards for anybody. Um, but he, he, did, he did it for me. And um, we sort of, it's been a big seller. And eventually I'll make it into a hard, not everybody likes e-books, including me, by the way. So eventually I'll make it into a, a hard copy book. But it's been going, it's been actually selling very well right now. Excellent. I mean, the Royal Road to Car Magic is one that, um, sorry, my computer keeps popping something up. Go away. Um, yeah, that loads of us had when we, when we were young, and there's some, uh, there's, a lot of magicians overlook the quality of the material in that. It's fantastic. Uh, 50% of, of my repertoire comes from, uh, comes from the Royal Road to Car Magic. But it's not the trick, it's never the trick anyway. The trick's only, uh, a good magician does not present magic, he presents himself doing magic. Um, you are the magic, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got a personality of a dial tone and you, 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 you get no kind of charisma about you, then you may as well not bother. Some people argue with me, they say, um, uh, the trick in and of itself should be strong enough to get you know, to get a reaction. I don't believe that. You need more than just a trick. You've got to present, you've got to have a, the presentation. You've got to be a bit of a character of some kind. Mm. You can be a serious character, or you can be a um, dramatic character. You can be funny. You can have a light heart, but you've got to have some kind of presentation. It's not the trick alone won't do it. Uh, I've always believed that. Trick is secondary. So it doesn't matter what trick you do. Dellinger, Joseph Dellinger said, nail through finger will suffice if you have some way of magnetizing and hypnotizing that audience. And I've always believed that. So, I, think so. that I think that applies also a lot to everything that um, you do in the sense of stage hypnosis, yeah. psychic stuff, uh, hypnosis, <coughs> the, the magic... All of them, I would argue, are more about to do. Well, to, from to be really good, is more about presentation than the actual secret or technique, aren't they? That's uh, important. That's just the most important part of the thing. But uh, not everybody believes in it. You know, there was, I was just reading something today from an old book by. Oh, I forget now. But the, um, the, the, the author was quoting um, Charles Waters. This book was written in the 1930s. Who said uh, he doesn't? He said I don't really believe in this making magic entertaining thing. He says making magic magical is entertainment enough. This guy said. Uh, but I, I think no. I think you've got to have a little bit of um, you've got, got to make it entertaining. I was arguing with somebody on the genie form, a very famous um, uh, close-up magician, who said who said I don't try to entertain people. I just present the magic and make it. In, 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 in. Well, I, 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 I think you do have to entertain people. It's, it's, the magic's not enough. You need more. Yeah. Some, some of them, on the other hand, I won't mention names, 
But some magicians over-present, they go to the other extreme. Most of them under-present. They're a bit boring and they under-present. There's others who talk too much, especially Americans. American close-up magicians, they're over the top. You know, they, they, they talk, that can actually, um, what's the word, overshadow the magic when you do too much of that. So you've got to have the right balance. You don't want to be boring and monotonous, but you don't want to be over the top either, too, too excitable. Um, I've always said a good magician is like a, a window. A window just lets the light in. doesn't draw attention to itself. It doesn't say, hey, everybody, I'm a great window. <laughs> it just lets the light in, so it's the same thing. A magician doesn't have to draw attention to himself. He, he should just let the light in, but be entertaining enough that people want to let the light in, you know. So that's my philosophy on it. Excellent. Yeah. Well, if you, if you were starting out today, Mark, um, from scratch and you didn't have all the experience behind you that you have but right. you did but you did have the knowledge in the back of your head you just instinctively knew what I'm getting at is if you were starting from scratch today what would you be most drawn towards doing the pitching the psychic stuff hypnosis what getting a proper job I think that would be serious um, well I do so many different things to be done because I'm not a businessman. And I, some people are good at marketing, and especially nowadays, well, it's all done on computer. That's beyond me. It's completely beyond me. Um, so I've obviously had to live, live by my wish. I've been forced to do things. I've been forced to become a psychic. I've been forced to be a bloody uh, grafter. Um, I think I think I like doing the best. Oddly enough, it's part, probably the most profitable thing. People won't believe this, but children's entertainers are the ones that make the most money in magic, generally speaking. Okay. Uh, people wouldn't believe it if I say that, but there's regular work, they're always busy. Um, I, think, well, I think your father did a lot of kids shows, didn't he, your dad? He did, well, yeah, he did indeed. Uh, when when he, my mum wanted us to settle down rather than carry on travelling around in the trailer on the circus, he then What's went that? into doing school shows, nurseries, birthday parties and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so if somebody, if, if somebody doesn't want to travel, I mean, that moved them out of it. But if somebody wants to just stay in one place, um, kids shows are the best option. It doesn't stop them doing other shows, but if they, but they can, but they, but you'd be surprised how much, uh, how much money um, successful children's entertainers earn. Yeah, people don't realise it, but they do quite well. It's very enjoyable because the kids love you straight away. They love magic. It's, it's, it's a bit different working those those awful bloody working men's clubs. You know, everybody's drunk, nobody paying attention to you. Kids love magic, and they're, they're not an easy audience. You've got to know how to handle them. But I think I like that. I don't know. I don't know what. It's. Um, I wonder what if I started again. I'll tell you what. Uh, Trevor Lewis once met me. It said to me. Mm -hmm. I met him on a train station by accident, so he talked about magic. Now I did not realize that he was not a full-time professional magician, you know. I always imagine, he, he worked on the boats as an engineer, the ferries oh. from Ireland to, to, to England. That was his normal job. But he did a lot of um, semi-professional work, did a lot of shows, did a lot of shows. Probably did as many shows as a full-time professional. Mm -hmm. he, um, he said to me, Magic is a very good icing, but a lousy cake. Um, 
wife's a part-time business, but did it full-time. Um, there are exceptions. Uh, I won't say, I won't, I'm not telling anybody don't become a professional magician. But it's, it's, it's not a reliable way. It's precarious. Brandon says it's precarious. And some people do succeed, but they're in the minority. Um, the, the, probably, I don't know, uh, I would say maybe 25, 20, 20%, I may even exaggerate, I say 20% of, uh, of people that do it professionally make a decent living. Mm. Good. Only 20%, maybe 80% don't. So they have to do other things, you know. Um, and people have to choose, they have to um, evaluate themselves. Have I got the persistence, the determination, the willing to take a chance that I might be one of the 80%? And they, they have to evaluate their talent. And it's not just the talent, their business ability, their stamina, their ability to handle, um, handle what's the word, uh, adversity. Yeah. Um, so it's not easy. It's not easy. I envy the amateur magician who does it for not even interested in money. They've, just, they've got regular jobs, or regular way of making a living at least, providing they like it. And magic is just fun for them. Um, as soon as money enters the picture, the fun starts to go out of it. You're worried about travel, you're worried about contracts, am I going to get paid? Is it going to die? It's, it becomes, it's tougher. I've always said, Yeah, I know. The thing is, though, as hard as show business can be and as hard as self-employment can be, it just doesn't strike me, having read your autobiography, that you could really work for anyone else. Well, I couldn't. Have, no, I would have to be self-employed. Um, if I didn't do what I'm doing now, I'd have to have a business of some kind. I can't work for other people. Um, I mean, I did that when I... I haven't worked, I haven't worked for anybody for... Um, well, that's, God, must be 50 years. I have, I have not. No, I've never had a proper job. Um, I left school, I think, about 17 then. Uh, no, it must have been about... For over... Um, I've not had a, a real job for nearly 60 years. So... Uh, so... But, I mean, it, it, Self-employed is, is the best angle. You better do something on your own, definitely. Um, I'm just saying show business, uh, all businesses are tough. Show business is particularly tough because mm. it's precarious, you know. You can um, you can build it up, then you can disappear very quickly. It's up and down. And um, I don't believe half the... There's a lot of bragging going on amongst magicians, how much they make and how much they earn. And half of it's a load of bollocks, you know. Well, um, Jay Marshall said uh, once, the way you can work out how much money an entertainer makes, a magician, is you take whatever fee they quote to you, you divide by two and subtract $50, you'll get the real amount of money they're making, he totally said. Yeah. And then, you know, but <coughs> the most local 
second thing that I do is the, um, the trade shows. Companies hire me to go on their booth at trade shows. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a bit, very similar to graphic actually, similar to, to pitching. But, uh, I've got to take more one. Don't worry, we're, we're, our time's coming to a close, unfortunately, because these are, you know, normally just around an hour. I just, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you the question to end with that. I ask everyone that I've interviewed. All right. Um, now, obviously, you've got a background in magic and the psychic stuff as well. Um, so, but what did you say just now? You've got a background in hypnosis and the psychic stuff as well. Yes, and yes. magic and all that. But yes. this final question is kind of more directly aimed at um, wannabe stage hypnotists. Right. Now, um, we've already told them, go to library.com or contact you via marklewisentertainment.com. You know, look into your course on that. But what would you, if you had to give... through? two or three top quick tips to, other than the obvious of go and get your hypnosis course, being one of them, uh, to anyone who is wanting to break into doing stage hypnosis shows, what would your top tips be? Well, first one is, uh, uh, do not believe in, uh, hypnosis is a load of bunk. That's the first thing. Uh, get the, they call it hypnosis by Robert Baker, that'll explain the whole thing and you'll be able to do it a lot better if you believe if you know what's going on and when you know that nothing's going on uh, you don't panic if it's not working you don't panic say have reaction somebody's having a you know, there's no have reaction because nobody's tries in the first place you know yeah so tension seeking so that's that's one tip hmm. well tip well okay here's a good here's a good one um i once read in the 13 Steps to Mentalism, uh, an interview by Morris Fogel, who was a terrific mentalist, and he advised on what you do to get people on the stage. Now, because with hypnotism, you need a lot of volunteers, and you can get a bit panicky if only four people come up or three people come up, you know? Mm. Um, his advice was invaluable to me. He said, you don't panic, you just keep talking, and you're jolly them along a bit. You don't say things like, if we don't get any volunteers, I'm not doing the show, I can't do this. Never say that. He said, you just, um, I wish I had the book right in front of me now, but um, look up the, the interview by, um, by um, Morris Fogel in the 13 Steps to Mentalism. So the book test, uh, I forget what number, step something or other, book tests. And he's interviewed, and at the end of the interview, he explains about getting volunteers on stage and how you never panic. And I, I've never had, even when I'm slow coming up, I just, I, I never panic. I just keep talking friendly. And eventually, eventually, you fill all the chairs, you know. So for a beginner, that's good advice because yeah. a beginner might panic, but when he comes on the stage, you know. And what else do I um, Oh, I just study. I, I, I learned most of it from Ormond McGill. Uh, Ormond McGill's books on, on it. Uh, I, I, yeah, there is one thing I can... Um, 
There is one very valuable tip I can give people um, on stage hypnosis. <coughs> this is a bit controversial. Oh, um, good. Uh, well, some stage hypnotists don't believe it. Get annoyed with me when I say this. I don't give a stuff. I know I'm right. If you find that, especially if you're a beginner, if you're doing a show and it's not working, it just ain't working, nobody's going into a trance or pretending it's just, not, it's just not working, then what I do is this. I shouldn't really be explaining this to the whole wide world, but I'm nearly dead, so it doesn't matter. Little secret I use. Um, I have an emergency method if not hypnotized, and it goes like this. I have little, like business cards, uh-huh. and on the um, on the blank side, it can be blank card, black on both sides. These business cards, as long as it's blank on one side, uh, yeah. And then actually, it'd be good to have your print for advertising purposes to have your your, your stuff on one anyway. So. If it's not if it's not working, I wake them all up. And I, I, I say, I'm going to try something I've noticed, pyramiding hypnosis, which will it always works better a second time. You ask each of you, there's some wavy lines on this business card. I'm going to ask each of you to look at the wavy lines. Now give everybody the card. Everybody gets a business card. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the ones who are really resistant to hypnosis. Now stare at those wavy lines, stare at those wavy lines, then I go into the induction again. But it's a much briefer induction. And this time, it's guaranteed to work 100%. Because on the business card, it says, I forget what the wording is, because I, I haven't used it for a while, but it said, um, oh, let's have some fun before the audience, play along with it, just pretend. And, and then it's amazing all these people who didn't want to be hypnotized, suddenly they're now hypnotized. They start doing all the stupid stuff. And here's the weird thing, which is baffled me a little bit. It's my argument that there's no such thing in hypnosis. Because a lot of the time, they forget they've read that, they, they forgot they've read it. And they, they actually go into real hypnosis, however you define that. Uh, I still remember doing a show once for the police in Canada. And they weren't being hypnotized, so I did this thing. And then they all went under, you know. They all played along with it. Mm-hmm. A year later, they booked me again. And this, this cop comes to me before the show. He says, I can't believe what you did last year to me. He says, he says, he says people took photographs of me doing all these things. Said, I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed. I didn't, I was amazed that he was amazed, because I gave him the little card <laughs> and I along them. And I couldn't believe that he didn't realize, he, he couldn't, I couldn't remember, or maybe he went into hypnosis. And then another time, I did a show somewhere, and I had to use those little cards. After the show, I'm walking along the street to the car, and I see in front of me, um, a man and his girlfriend, and I could only hear them talking about the show. And he was saying, I was hit, but I really was. He was, in, he was, I, you know, he did not tell them that I'd given him cards, he was a stooge. Yeah. So I, he was, I was lying to his girlfriend, I really believe he, he, he had gone under. Anyway, that's what you do for emergencies. Yeah. 